0: You got a Bible? Go to Acts chapter twenty-one. Acts chapter twenty-one. Gabe, uh, brother, we're sending you as an ambassador, ambassador for Christ. <clears throat> Acts twenty-one. So last week we saw as Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go and to preach. Remember, if you remember in chapter twenty. That was his compulsion by the Holy Spirit in chapter 20 verse verse 22 and it says uh, and now behold I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by or compelled constrained or comp- compelled by the Holy Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there so he has this compulsion that's holy Spirit driven to go. Preach, And the only thing that he knows for certain is the Holy Spirit says that this is all I'm going to tell you is hardship and prison are going to be your company. So there's going to be difficulty. So the idea in the text here, the message is you're going to be in prison. There's going to be hardships. You're going to get beat. There's going to be shipwrecks. There's going to be all kinds of problems. And they're going to try to kill you. But go anyways. But go anyways. So Paul embraces this in chapter 20 he says but i do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only i may finish my course and the ministry that i have received from the lord jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of god let's go to the lord in prayer father we thank you for the morning We thank you for the time that we've been able to already sing and worship you already this morning. And Father, as I open up the text, the sacred text from the scriptures this morning, Father, I pray that everything that would be said out of my mouth would bring glory to your name and that it would bring a furthering of the gospel. That men and women would be saved and redeemed and set free as a result of your your word. Father, may I step aside and may you step forward. We love you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, now we're going to move into chapter 21. And in chapter 21, we do see indeed that Paul is arrested. He does go. He does what he's supposed to do. He obeys the Holy Spirit. Even though many in the church say, listen, don't do this. Don't go here. This is going to go bad for you. You're going to end up being arrested. It's going to go bad. So, Paul is indeed arrested. If you look at the end of chapter 21, verses 27 through 36... Paul is indeed arrested for trying to reason with his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, in the temple, and, and he's shackled up and he's put, up, put into prison. Verse 34 opens this up a little bit more. Uh, it says, some of the crowd were shouting one thing and some shouting another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. So there's so much violence, there's so much animosity, there's so much rage against Paul and his preaching of the gospel that there is a he's arrested and he has to be carried by a group of soldiers in order to not be killed by the mob. And so they as they're going through this the mob of the people they followed Paul as he's being carried by these soldiers verse 36 for the mob of the people followed crying out away with him away with him similar to somebody else remember when Jesus died what happened they said crucify him crucify him we don't we want barabbas crucify him so they're doing the same thing the same things happening to Paul is they're Demanding that when they say away with him they don't mean go put him in prison they mean they want his blood they want him dead and what is just fascinating to me is that even in these moments even in these moments Paul still desires to see these men redeemed at the end of chapter 21 and into chapter 22 we see that he shares his testimony and pleads with them to love the Lord Jesus Christ So he he has this this moment where he says in verse 40, uh, well, actually verse 38 or 39, Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarshish in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to these people. Now think about this. He is in the middle of being shackled up treated poorly beat i mean like if you read up here in chapter 21 they're beating the mess out of paul like he's not just they're not just arguing with him there is physical violence against paul taking place in this text and so this is the reason they have to arrest him because it's it's borderline riot in the temple and so he's he's now in the middle of this uproar and he says in verse 29 please let me speak to these people And when he had been given permission, Paul, verse 40, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet and he said I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily Sicilia, but brought up in this city and educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day now I need you to hear this because and we'll talk about this these, these are Pharisees, and there's a, and if you look at the history of, of Pharisees, there's about 6,000 Pharisees at this very moment in this text, about around 6,000-ish, and there's a handful of them that are on the Sanhedrin, Pharisee means a separatist. So they are, in their mind, they are separating themselves from all things and they have a desire and a zealousness, as Paul says, I am zealous, I am zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So this is the thing, that we, we, give, the, that we give the Pharisees a bad rap. The Pharisees had a desire to follow the Lord Jesus, or, I'm sorry, to follow God. They weren't following Jesus, sorry, I'm scratch that. They weren't following Jesus. They were trying to follow God. And so what they were doing is they were thinking they were doing God's business and God's work by actually um, chaining Paul up because he was in their minds blaspheming God. And so they became violent and did all this because they're trying to honor God. I know, right? So we've got all these things that are happening. And even in these moments, he starts to tell about Jesus, And he starts to tell about on the road to Damascus, the things that took place on the road to Damascus and how Jesus shows up to him and tells him who he is and what he's supposed to do. And then he tells his entire testimony of how God saves him from himself. And even in these moments. He's sharing his testimony and pleading with these people to submit their lives and be born again and follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that the Bible um, is it, it, it teaches way differently than, than many religions in the world. We're called to love those who don't love us. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love those that try to hurt us. We're called to love those that are difficult in even in the walls of the church, we're called to love people that are considered our enemies. Now, you look at any other religion, Muslims do not teach this. They're totally fine with you can kill your enemy. That's what they teach. We've seen that on national news. They are very adamant about wanting to kill their enemies. Jesus says, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. This is what makes the Christian, the Bible re- religion, the biblical religion different than any other religion in the world. We're called to love our enemies. This is what Jesus taught us and this is what Paul took very literally. Think about this. as, as if, if you knew, if you had preached the gospel to a group of people and they would have become hostile and beat you Would you stand on these, if you knew for a fact, if you stood on the front porch today and we gathered all of Cedarvale in here on the front porch and outside in the streets and you said, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is and how he can save you. And that group becomes hostile and wants to kill you for doing that. How many of y'all are signing up for that one? Paul is still signing up for it. They're in the middle of beating, like physically assaulting him and beating him And they have to put him in constraints and put guards around him. And then he's still, as he's being carted off, he's not going, these idiots, I can't believe them. He doesn't do that. He says, stop, please let me talk to them. And then he begins to speak to them in their native tongue and says, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Here's how he saved me on the road to Damascus. Here's what he did in my life. And this is what he Knew he would like, he knew this is what he was supposed to do. Paul did this. Paul went to the people that hated him the most. He longed to see these people saved. The people that longed to see him dead, he longed to see them saved. That's different. That's a different kind of Christianity. That's a different kind of love. Amen. That's a different kind of love for you, your fellow human beings. Like, listen, we're taught over and over again in culture to get even. Get even. So, what I'd like to do today is I want us to walk through this idea of loving our enemies, as Paul did in the text. What does it look like for us as Christians to love people who are difficult, and not just difficult, those that we maybe consider our enemies? How do we as biblical Christians handle those who hate us? How do we come alongside someone who doesn't agree with us, that doesn't like us, that maybe is even hostile towards us? How do we as Christians come alongside them? How do we present a message of grace to people who don't show off grace? Let's go to, if you've got a Bible, leave Acts chapter 22 now and go over to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 43. So if you've got that Bible, go over to that text, and we're going to read that together. Verse 43. Now this is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. This is where Paul gets this idea. He gets this idea from the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 43. Matthew five forty-three. You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He, care, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, the just of the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even tax collectors doing the same thing? Verse 47. And if you greet only your own people, your own people, your own brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do this. Be, verse 48, be Perfect, Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. So let's look at verse 43. You've heard it said of old, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where would that idea come from? Where would that idea come from that you can hate your enemy? Where would that come from? Well, let's just think about our own lives. Let's just think about our own positions and where we are. If someone does something wrong to you, if someone in some way wrongs you or steps on your rights or does something in such a way to trample on you, if someone is mean to you, if someone hurts you, the world tells us often that you have the right to get even. You have the right to hold a grudge. You have the right to be mean back to them. You have the right to get even. amen you guys hear that when, when somebody says that that's what the world teaches us I found a quote this week uh, on a t-shirt I don't know who said it it's on a, I actually saw it on coffee mugs t-shirts rugs different, different things it says I don't hold grudges I just remember facts I don't hold grudges I just remember facts that's like that's, a, that's the world that is the world! I don't hold grudges, I just remember the facts about it. Really? Really? Do you remember the facts? Maybe. Maybe. But this this speaks volumes. This is so many people. This so many people live their lives this way. Oh, I don't and they have this pious self-righteousness. I don't hold grudges, but I do remember the facts. Well, yeah, you know what, Jesus, there were some facts about you that Jesus. Isn't remembering we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. That that's the truth. And if I'm going to make I'm going to make sure I'm not taken out. I'm going to be ta- I'm going to I'm going to be taken care of. I'm not going to be taken out. I'm going to make I'm going to get even before the person tries to hurt me. So, it's a dog eat dog world and I'm not going to be the one taken out. That's the idea of most of the world. I, I'm not going to be the one who, who gets taken out? I'm going to be the guy that makes it. I'm going to be the gal that makes it. So this, this becomes an anthem for so many of us ar- around us. So many people around us. Even maybe you guys know in your own family who resent each other. And they hold these grudges for decades and decades and decades. And the Bible says that we're doing the wrong thing. What did Jesus say? If you've heard it said, love your neighbor. So this is the idea. Love the guy that'll lend you some sugar. Love the lady that'll lend you some sugar and some butter and some cookie stuff. But the one that's mean to you, the one that throws her trash over the fence, you can hate her. That's what the world teaches. Jesus comes in, and this is why Jesus was killed. Jesus turns everything on its head. He says, listen, you've heard it said of old, you can love your neighbor, but you hate your enemy. I tell you, Love your enemy. Love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. That's verse 44. That you may be children of your father that is in heaven. You want to be a child of God? Don't just love your neighbor, but love the people you you should hate. Don't just love the people who love you, love the people that hate you. This is where biblical Christianity turns everything on its head. Ephesians chapter four. We Gabe actually read this this morning. When you read that, I thought, oh wait, we're going to read that in this morning's sermon. Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty through thirty-two says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." So here's the deal: if you're in Christ, you've been sealed. So what are you supposed to not do? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This is what you're called to do in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage, all anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So number one, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How can you make sure that we don't do that? You got to get rid of all these things. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit by holding on to your right to be right. You don't hold on to the right to be. I can hold on to this bitter, angry grudge if I want to. You don't know what they did to me, Caleb. Paul says here in Ephesians get rid of all bitterness. All rage, all anger, brawling, slander, and along with every form of malice, you got to get rid of it. And then what? Replace all of those things that I just read in verse 31. Replace all of those things with this be kind and compassionate to one another. Woo, what would it look like if all of us were kind and compassionate to one another? What would that look like? And not only that, but you're willing to forgive those who have wronged you. How many many of you guys have ever been wronged by somebody? Nobody? Okay, we've got a couple. All right. How How many have ever wronged somebody? All right, yeah, so have I. But what would it look like if we forgave people the way that Christ forgave us? That's what we're called to do. We're called to be kind and compassionate. We're called to be people that might consider our enemies as friends. We're to consider our enemies and, and more than that, we're not to be angry with them, not to hold on to bitterness. The writer of Hebrews gives us a command in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, he says, Strive for peace with everyone and for, and, and for the holiness of And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness will spring up and cause trouble. By it, many become defiled. Now, think about this. Listen, when you become bitter and harbor bitterness in your life, you will become toxic. And you defile everyone that's around you. You become toxic when you become rooted in bitterness. When your bitterness takes root in the soil of your heart, what ends up permeating out of your life is toxicity. You are toxic to everyone around you and the scripture says that you defile everyone around you if you've got bitterness and and anger and, and these things rooted down in you. Like right now, COVID's coming back up. If I walked in here and said, hey, I've got COVID, everybody. I've got it. No one in the room is going to be like, listen, I want to get around him. Everybody in the room is going to be like, oh, we need to get him out of here. Stay away from him. But you know what's even worse than COVID? Having a root of bitterness in your life. Having a root of unforgiveness in your heart towards your fellow man. Man. It is so toxic that it defiles anyone you're in radius with. And it just exudes out of you, according to the text. That root of bitterness, when it springs up, it causes trouble. What kind of trouble does it cause? Because every time you've you got nothing but bitter and angry, negative stuff to say. Let me tell you about sister so-and-so. Let me tell you, you just, you can look at people's faces and they're just, let me tell you about Brother So and so. I tell you about Chansey? Well, what, uh, you know, Chansey. Let me tell you about Tyler. That just, it exudes out, and de- the scripture says it defiles everyone you come in contact with. That's the root of bitterness. Like, Gabe just cleaned out our flower beds this weekend, and and there was a lot of weeds in there, weren't there, bub? Those weeds, when they get in there, they take over the whole thing. what, What was supposed to be beautiful, what was supposed to be gorgeous, the weeds get in there and they just completely defile the whole thing. They mess the entire thing up. The whole place is destroyed. What's supposed to be beautiful ends up being becoming destroyed because of the weeds that's the same idea when bitterness takes root in your heart it springs up in your heart and it just permeates your life so the bible says don't do that do not let bitterness a root of bitterness spring up in you see that no one fails to obtain the grace of god don't do that so that no root of bitterness would be popped up inside of you The same idea is with with weeds. It's the same idea with bitterness, and and you don't have to do much. Listen, any any green green thumb in here? Is any green thumbs? You got some green thumb, Betsy? You got a green thumb? Now don't tell me no, you don't, because I've seen your pictures. This woman can make anything grow. Amen. Alan, can she make anything grow? see, that's, I'm, well, see I, we're reversed I gotta water them Jamie, Jamie kills plants I water them those ones in the window hey those ones in the window we made they're still you know why because I'm watering them but listen when it comes to weeds do you have to do any TLC to make weeds grow Betsy you got, when the weeds when the weeds come up do you have to do any, anything to help them grow no they just they just pop up everywhere you don't have to water them you don't have to do anything they're everywhere in fact what do you got to do to get the weeds out you got to do some TLC you got to dig down in and pull them out by the root because if you don't pull them out by the root what happens they'll take over the whole flower bed doesn't take much TLC to foster an angry and bitter spirit that blooms quite easily it takes some tender loving care to foster love and grace in your heart especially for people you don't like And especially for people you don't think deserve your good graces. It takes a lot. So Jesus addresses this. Back up in in Matthew chapter 5 verse 46 and 47. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Of course tax collectors love those who pay their bills. Amen? Listen. The guys and gals that are paying their bills, the the government's not calling them. It's those that are not paying their taxes. That's the idea here. Verse 47. If you greet only your brother, if you only greet the people you want to greet, what are you doing more than anybody else? Do not even the pagans do that. So loving people who love you is is not impressive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Being nice to to people that are... Nice to you doesn't make God smile. That's not, he's not like, wow, look at you. You're amazing because you love the guy that loved you. You know what's impressive? To love people that don't love you. it causes us. It causes us to do more than just be nice to nice people. We're called to love wicked people. We're called to love difficult people. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love difficult people. Tyler, who are you looking at there, brother? All right, I'm just checking. All right. yeah, I'm just, all right. yeah, He was looking up real high at the ceiling. I don't know if you were checking the lights. Or... But if you back it up, Jesus tells us one thing that we are to do. Verse 41. If anyone forces you, in verse chapter 5, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. This is the idea of go the extra mile. You go the extra mile for those that If you go the extra mile for those that are easy to love, that's not impressive. But if you go the extra mile for somebody that's a jerk, that's impressive. Why? Because Jesus went the extra mile for every jerk in this room. Amen? Every jerk in this room, which is all of us, by the way, Jesus went the extra mile and came after us. I love that we had that verse this morning with our kids. We love Jesus, not because, oh, it just sprang up in my heart one day and I just wanted to love God. No, Christ loved you first. 1 John 4.19, God loved you first. So as a result of God loving you, you could love him. Amen? That's good stuff. Not because I said it, but because the Bible said it. So this is what Jesus says to do. Go the extra mile. This is where being salt and light. Jesus talks about that earlier in Matthew chapter five, being salt and light. That's the idea. Is go this extra mile? Didn't Jesus forgive you? That's a question. Didn't Jesus forgive you? And if Jesus forgave you for your sins, and He forgave me for my sins, I have no right to hold a grudge. I have no right. No ma'am, no sir, you do not have a right to hold a grudge. I don't care how bad of a thing they did to you. And listen, I don't want to discount the bad thing that maybe somebody did to you. But let me tell you something. What you did to Christ is considerably worse than what any human being could ever do to you. Period. End of discussion. And if Christ is willing to forgive you, you should be willing to forgive others. Here's the thing. If if you refuse to forgive, the Bible tells us that Jesus won't forgive you. In the same way that you forgive, God will forgive you. If you forgive and you remember, what's the text say? He forgives you as you forgive others. So I forgive you, but I won't forget. Guess what? God will forgive you, but he won't forget. How can I say that? Because the text says so. Because the text says so. So if you're harboring bitterness and anger towards anyone, your prayer life is useless. If you've come to church this morning and you're angry at somebody else, your prayers get no higher than this ceiling. Not on my authority, but by the authority of God's word. So back to the idea of what Paul tells us in the text. In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, Paul, he says, imitate me as I imitate God. What does that mean for you? We're called to view Paul's life and we're called to imitate Paul in the idea of loving difficult people because Jesus loved you when you were difficult. So if Paul's willing to stand on the steps of the temple and preach and plead and pray for those that are trying to kill him, you ought to do the same. You ought to do the same that you're willing to love and share the gospel with those that are your enemy. Amen? No no amens on that one. See, this is why people don't like the Bible. But that's okay. All right. Some, some might say, Caleb, that's difficult. Pastor, that's difficult. And, and I would amen that. And I'd go a little bit, I'd do a step further and say, it's absolutely impossible. You cannot love your enemy. It is impossible you to, for you to do that when the flesh is in charge. John chapter 3, the famous passage. Jesus meets with a, with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him at night. He's a ruler. He's the ruler of rulers. He's the top teacher of the Pharisees. And this man comes to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do the things you can do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers him. He didn't even, Nicodemus didn't even ask the question. But the, the question that's gnawing at him in the text here is that he's looking for a pathway similar to the young rich ruler. He wants to, how do I get eternal life? I know you're from God. How do I get to eternal life? He's not He doesn't say it, but Jesus zeroes in on this very quickly. He zeroes in and says here, in order for you to see the kingdom, here's what happens. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you... Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He was thinking one-dimensionally here. He was not thinking three-dimensionally in the spiritual realm. He was thinking, i got to crawl back inside my mom's womb and be born again? That's weird. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you've got to be born the first time through water. The second birth, you must be born again. The second birth comes from the Spirit. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. And you and I cannot love our enemies the way Christ loves us unless we have been born again. You must be born again if you're going to love your enemies the way that Christ loves you. If you only have been born in the flesh, you'll do exactly as your flesh demands. And your flesh demands that you get even and you hold a grudge. That's what our flesh calls us to do. But verse 6 says... That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't, 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 what? Don't, don't overcomplicate it. If you've only been, listen, if you've only been born once, you can't do what a twice born man was made to do. If you've only been born once, you can't do what a twice-born man was made to do. In order to imitate God, you must be born again. R.C. Sproul said, no one is born a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're raised in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if you went to a Christian school or college. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian. If you have not been born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Listen, I need you all to understand something. I need you to understand this. that we're not going to be here forever. And we're going to be extremely disappointed if we push all our chips in and like, listen, I'm going to hold my grudge. I'm going to hold it till I die. I'm going to hold my grudge. I can promise you this, in 10,000 years, you and I are going to be in heaven, and we're not going to be, if you're, if you're a believer, you're not going to be sitting around saying, you remember that time that Jamie messed with me? You remember that time that Chancey wronged me? How do we know this? Revelation one four tells us exactly what's going to happen. In fact, if you've got the Bible app, that's what the verse of the day was. Revelation 21.4, listen to this. What's it say? He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain of any type anymore. For the former things have passed away. So let me promise you this. In heaven, you're not going to be thinking about your bitter, angry disputes. It's not going to happen. So why in the world would you strive so hard to make sure we are the ones who are right at the end or get the last word? Why would you push so hard to say I've got to get the last word in? Why don't you die to your right to be right? Die to your right to be right. If we've been, listen, if we've been twice born, if you and I have been a twice born man and a once born world. Loving our enemies will be one of the most natural things that could ever come from us. If you've been born twice in a single born world, you will love your enemies as naturally as breathing. Don't let what somebody else does chain you up. Love them the way Jesus loved you. Love them the way Jesus loved you. And when you're and you say, how did Jesus love me? When you were full of wickedness and deceit and, and vile debauchery, Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I didn't say you could save them, but I could say you could, I said you could love them. I never said you could save them, but I said you could love them. And here's the big thing. If they've wronged you, forgive them. If you've wronged somebody, go get forgiveness. P- pretty straightforward, Right? And let's see what God can do to transform the world. Amen? Stand together.